Well, Dave Scott uh, should be no stranger to us. Dave and Betsy were here three years ago uh, while, I, while Lori and I were on sabbatical, and they came and spoke to us then. Uh, today, when I heard they were going to be back in the States, I, was, I immediately sent out the email to make sure that we could uh, have them here. Uh, Betsy's at another church speaking, and we get to have Dave here today, and we're so excited. Would we welcome him and just say thank you for coming and sharing what's on your heart? Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Jeff. Wow, thanks, everybody. Yeah, Betsy and Emma... Uh, are in Boston, so we had to like separate. We we had already booked Boston, and then the opportunity to come back to Michigan came up, and we couldn't say no because we like it so much. Uh, so we thankfully said yes. So I got the privilege of being um, at camp at Indian Lake this past week. So needless to say, I'm exhausted, and I I blame all 106 kids that were there because it's definitely not my fault. But kids are crazy, so it exhausts me and probably exhausts uh, everyone who was working with them. But it was a beautiful time for the kids uh, and for everyone there. Uh, it was just a really neat opportunity to be there. Um, but uh, kids are crazy. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to speak to some other kids, some younger ones. And uh, I got to explain to them what a missionary is and what a missionary does. It was this really interesting group of kids, very curious, as kids tend to be. And who remembers the show Kids Say the Darndest Things? I mean, I, so I, I, used to, I, I used to listen to the old-time radio programs on the radio with my mom, so I, I know Art Linkletter, that's the one I know. I know there have been newer versions, but I just remember that show, and it's so great. So I was sharing about what we do in Croatia, and what missionaries are, and what they do, and all this stuff. And I had a picture. I don't know why I don't have a picture here today. I had a picture of Croatia and where it was. And everyone knows what Italy looks like, right? That's an easy one. It looks like a boot. So Croatia is basically off the backside of the boot. So I had this picture up, and there's Italy, and there's the Adriatic Sea, and then there's Croatia. So I was explaining this is where Croatia is. It's right off the backside of this boot. There are a thousand islands there. The water's so clear and beautiful. And while I'm talking... This little boy in the front has his hand up the whole time, as kids tend to do. Because, I, you know, is he actually interested in what I'm saying? Does he just want to tell me about his dog? I mean, you never know. So there he was, and his name is Carter. And he's this little round boy with glasses and a little lisp. And he was so cute. And he had kind of adopted Emma. When, right when we showed up, he would just went right over to her, and, and they became best friends. So there's Carter and Emma sitting right next, and Carter's got his hand up. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. So I, I call on Carter, and I'm excited, interested. What's he, what's he going to say about missionaries and, and what they do? So he raises his hand, and he says, um, How come if there are a thousand islands in Croatia, I can't see them all? I'm like, well, well, Carter, it's a small map. It's, you know, it's up on the screen, and you can't really... Some of the islands are small, so you can't see a thousand islands. I'm not sure you can count to a thousand either. You're, you're quite young. Um, but... You know, they're there, I promise. So I, I start to talk again, and his arm shoots up right away. And I'm starting to like, um, I, I don't, I don't want to ignore him, I don't want to be mean to the kids, but I, you know, I kind of want to tell them about what we're doing. So I call on Carter again, yes, Carter, what, you know, what's your question? He says, um, how come Italy is in the shape of a boot? I'm like, Carter, I don't, 
Carter, man, I don't know. I mean, you have to ask God that question. I have no idea. But Carter was super inquisitive and super interesting and very cute. And, and we, I liked Carter very much. Um, so kids are crazy. And I'm, I'm moderately sane at this point after Indian Lake and after my time with Carter. Um, but I'm less sane because of my kids. My kids are crazy also. They're wonderful. But they change everything when you have kids. Doesn't everything kind of changes? And I remember 12 years ago when JJ was born. I'm picking on him a little bit, mostly because he's here, hiding in the back. Um, but 12 years ago, JJ was born. And before that, I'm going to be honest, I was probably just like a selfish guy, you know? I could sleep when I wanted. I could go out and have a coffee when I wanted. I could do whatever I wanted. I mean, as long as Betsy gave me permission. <laughs> but JJ came along, and it ch- kind of changed everything. So I remember we were living in this real small apartment. We had, were attending Fuller Seminary at the time. And we had, had one bedroom, and, and so JJ was in a bassinet. Newborn baby. I was so worried on the drive home. And, you know... My lazy, selfish Dave, I was used to sleeping really well. Well, that changes when you have a baby in the room with you, doesn't it? So I remember those first couple of nights, like this little squirmy being was sleeping in the bassinet at the foot of our bed. And I would start to drift off to sleep and I would hear like a little snort, like, I would wake right up. Oh, oh, JJ, are you okay? What can I do for you? How can I help you? Are you alive? Are you breathing? Should I roll you over? I don't know what to do. You know, it was so, everything was changing. And, you know, he, of course, he was fine. And then I would get back in bed and I'd start to go back to sleep and lo and behold, you know, he'd roll over and I'd jump back up and, oh, JJ, are you okay? What can I do for you? Oh my goodness, this is so, you know, I just want to be there for you. And it changed who I was. I, probably no choice of my own turned from just kind of this selfish guy who got to sleep eight hours a night to paying attention to something new. And I, I call what happened to me sleep ears. See, because when Betsy, when, when JJ was born, Betsy got what she calls sleep anxiety. So she was always worried, like, where is he going to sleep? How is he going to sleep? Is it dark enough? Is it light enough? Is, you know, does he have his special pajamas or a special blanket or a special bed? Do we have to bring all this stuff with us? And it was just like, whew. But for me, I got these sleep ears where it's been, you know, 12 years now since I've slept through the night. So thanks a lot, JJ. And it changes things. And there's a, one of my favorite characters in the Bible has sleep ears. And I want to read this story together. And this is typically a story that we remember as the conversion story of Saul. But there's a character in there I want us to pay attention to that maybe has sleep ears. So this is Acts 9, 1 through 20. Uh, If you want to read along, you have Bibles and maybe we'll have it up on the board. We do, good. So this is Acts 9, 1 through 20, and this is the conversion story of Saul, but I want you to pay attention to another wonderful character. So it says this, Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
He asked, Who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Pay attention. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother, Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Now, it's a cool story that we've probably heard. A lot of us have heard this story, right? This is when Saul was converted into Paul. And Paul was just this amazing missionary man who just changed everything. But wasn't Ananias awesome too? I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that this guy, you know, he was kind of living his regular life. He had heard about the way, he had heard about this Jesus character and got to know him and said, I, I, this is God, this is it. This is the Messiah we've been waiting for. But he was probably going about his life. Maybe he was like uh, uh, a cobbler making sandals or something. Or maybe he was sitting at, his, at home on his recliner, reading a book, well, they didn't read books, reading a scroll or something. Maybe he was asleep. And then he heard this voice say, Ananias. And what I love about Ananias is he didn't just kind of stir in his sleep and roll over and go back to bed. He didn't just kind of keep on reading his scroll or keep on making his sandals. He had sleep ears. He was ready for the voice of God, wasn't he? Because he popped up and he said, Here I am, Lord. Here I am. And I'm secretly jealous of this guy because for me, the first time I heard the voice of God, I was 16. And I was on a work and witness trip to Mexico. And I didn't hear like audible words. So I'm the, I'm the guy in uh, the back row, not the balding aged, you know, middle-aged man. I was the blonde kid next to him. Uh, and I was 16, and this is in Mexico. And this is when I first felt God kind of prodding me and saying, Hey, Dave, I've got something for you. And I wish I had been more like Ananias. But I wasn't. I kind of spent the next few years turning my back on that call and kind of rolling over and going back to sleep. 
I mean, even more like putting my fingers in my ears, saying, I'm not, I'm not ready to hear that yet, God. I wasn't ready to hear God's voice. And I think a lot of us do that, don't we? I mean, sometimes we feel that prodding in our own lives and, and we hesitate or we roll over and go back to sleep or we plug our ears and kind of maybe secretly hope that voice goes away. But I want to let you know something this morning, that God's not going anywhere. And for me, God wasn't going anywhere. That call never left. You see, I was turning my back on God, but he was right there with me. And periodically he'd tap me on the shoulder and say, Dave, I've got something for you, man. And I would plug my ears and keep walking. And eventually, after he kept knocking, he kept saying, Dave, I'm here and I've got something for you. I finally said, all right, God, if you've got something, here I am. What do you want to do? And that's when everything changed. You see, returning to that call, returning to God's voice taught me to begin to listen to his voice. Because when I began to listen, I began to hear it more and more. And the more I heard and responded, the more God called. So be warned. That's the way it works. So Betsy and I met at ENC, and after ENC we were married, and then God called us to work with the youth. So we taught uh, senior high Sunday school at the the campus church there at Eastern Nazarene College. Um, And then God called us to work with young adults, and, and, and we just started listening and saying, here I am, Lord, here we are, use us. And then God called us to seminary in Croatia, here I am, Lord. Then God called us to start a house church there in California. And then God called us to really pursue missions again. That call had got us through seminary, and and God said, all right, it's missions time, let's do this. And then God called us to wait in my parents' basement for a year and a half in rural Ohio. And I said, enough's enough. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But it was, it was rough. It was a long time. Because I had felt, okay, God, I'm starting to hear your voice and I'm starting to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And things are happening and you're moving in the world and I can see your goodness through my life and in my life. And you've called us to missions and we said yes and we pursued it. Why am I in the basement in rural Ohio? I don't understand. And it took me, if this is my hard-headedness, this is where I think my ears, my fingers were in my ears again and I had turned off my sleep ears because I think if I would have had those on and been more in tuned, then I wouldn't have been stuck for a year and a half because it took me a year and a half for God to say, Dave, I want you to give up that call to missions. And I said, What? You know, I turned my I, know, I turned my back on that call for a long time, and then finally I said yes, and all this wonderful things. I can see you working. You called me to this. And he said, Dave, I need you to walk away from that. So finally, I remember wrestling in the basement of my parents' house, saying, "All right, God, if you want me even to live in this basement, I'll do it. If that's what you want." You see, what was happening was I was 
too focused on God's call that I stopped listening to his voice. Now the call is a great thing, wasn't it? Like a missionary. God called me to be a missionary. That's great, I think, right? But God said, that's not what it's about, Dave. It is about listening to my voice and raising your hand and saying, here I am, wherever you lead me, I'll go today. And it wasn't two weeks after I gave up that call and said, okay, God, if you want me in the basement, we'll live in the basement in my parents' house. Two weeks later, a missionary couple from the Church of the Nazarene was retiring and they were doing their retirement deputation through Ohio and we got to listen to them. And that's when God said, here it is. This is what I have for you. And we talked to that couple, the Fraley's, and they just heard our hearts for missions and we heard their hearts. And then the next day we met, we sat together and prayed together for eight hours and they wanted us to kind of take over the work that they had left uh, in southern France. So God was working on me through all those years. And he wanted me to have sleep ears. He didn't want me to be focused just on a call or on a mission or on an idea. He wanted me to listen to him. Here I am, Lord. So after that, God called us to France, and we lived there for one year, and then God moved us to Croatia, where we've been uh, for almost eight years. And God kept on calling. So first, God called us to meet people and learn about what God was doing in Croatia. So we arrived in Croatia, and we didn't know anybody, we didn't know this culture, we didn't know this language. I didn't even know where it was when God called us there. I had to look it up on the internet. Where is Croatia? But God was calling. So we first arrived and just met with people. Okay, what is God doing in this country and how can we jump in and be a part of it? So through these relationships, God continued to call and he called us to start working with marginalized people in orphanages and with uh, in gypsy communities. And in most of Europe, uh, the gypsy communities, the the, the Roma, they're called Roma. Gypsy is like a bad word in Europe. The Roma people are looked at like, like animals. And not in like a facetious way, like an actual way. There was one man who, uh, he came to some of our lectures about the Church of the Nazarene. He was very interested and he's, he had gone through Bible school and he said, I want to be the first Nazarene pastor uh, in Croatia. And this, you know, we're denomination planters. So we thought this was a, this is a gift. This is you know here's a Bible trained guy and he wants to be the first pastor of the Church of the Nazarene. He's Croatian. This is exciting. This is everything we had planned on. And when we were meeting, he would sometimes say things like, "Well, you know, I'm not I'm not interested in having a church for Roma people." Okay, I, you know, I was new to the country and I wasn't sure what that meant. And but each week we met for this, we went through kind of like a. a a membership course so he could understand the church better, he would say these little things about Roma people. And finally, it was like four weeks in, I said, well, I don't understand. What is, what's your deal with the Roma people? He said, well, I don't have any problem with them. They're just, they're not human. So they're not going to heaven anyways. So I just don't, I don't want to have a church for them. And I was just floored. I said, you don't, you don't really believe that. Do you? Well, he said, yeah, you don't, you just don't understand. They're, they have different DNA than we do. They're not, they're not human. Needless to say, he was not the first Church of the Nazarene pastor in Croatia. We have Roma churches all over the world. 
Um, but that is a common view held in Croatia. And the people who work alongside Roma people are oftentimes ostracized um, because this group is so on the outside. But that's kind of where God likes to work. So we just jump in and say, here I am, Lord. So we, we did that. We do that still. And God then called us to open a second-hand shop. And, you know, when we were here a couple years ago, we talked about this a little bit, and this was not one of our plans. This was one of God's plans because I don't know very many missionaries who go to another country to start a second-hand shop, but that's what God said. So we said yes. So we ran that for a couple years, and it was it turned into this beautiful, transformative space for a community that was ultimately a community of strangers and became a community who knew each other. And this picture that you see up here, that's about it. It was a tiny little space. But it changed things. And it wasn't because we made this plan and we had this idea and we pushed it forward. It was because we heard God calling and we said, all right, I'll do it. Then God called us to start the first church of the Nazarene in Croatia with a few friends. And then he called us to start reaching out with intentional ministries just with this small group of us. And God called us to open our doors as a community center for English programs and kids programs and art programs. You see, God was calling. God was calling us to these new and exciting things and everything was going so well. And then the refugee crisis came through Croatia. And Croatia is a small country of about 4 million people. And at the time, at the height of the crisis, there were 10,000 per day coming through. 10,000 every day. And it was crazy. And these are desperate people who have been forced from their homes, afraid, angry, hurt, sick, tired, hungry, desperate, But I know what the media says about these people. And part of me was saying, wait a minute, God, are you sure about this? Maybe this is going a bit too far. Aren't these the people I'm supposed to be afraid of? Don't these people want to destroy your faith, God? Don't they want to kill me? Are you sure about this? Let's look back what Ananias did. Verse 13 says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. You see, the Lord called Ananias to go and find Saul, but he was scared because Saul was not a good man. Saul even said this about himself in Galatians, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You see, Saul was a zealot. He was a violent religious fanatic. That's what he was. He was looking for ways to stomp out these followers of Christ that were springing up all over the place. He was looking to imprison them, to harm them, to kill them. And he was known for this. See, Saul was a terrorist. 
And Ananias heard God's voice calling him to meet this terrorist, and he said to God, Wait a minute, are you sure? Don't you know who this guy is? Don't you know what he's done? This guy wants to destroy your church. This guy wants to kill me. And God responded so wonderfully. He said, I've got plans for this man. I've got plans that you don't even know about. This man is going to change things, so you, Ananias, need to go. So what did he do? He went, didn't he? See, back in Croatia, God called us into the thick of this refugee struggle. And when the world told us to be afraid, God said, I've got some plans that you don't even know about. There are some people in there that are going to change everything. So you need to go. And so we went. And we went to the borders to confront the desperate, to comfort the desperate and confront this fear that we had. See, these pictures that you're going to see are pictures that we took. This is it's not just pulled from the internet. This is what it was really like. We went into the camps to offer food and clothing and prayer. We went into these broken down tents with mud floors and we received hospitality from people who had nothing. We were welcomed in and got to pray with people and sit with people and share our story with them and their story with us. And they would offer us tea and us crackers when they have nothing. When the world said, keep them out, God said, go and show them my love. Second Timothy 1, 7-8 tells us something about confronting our fears. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. I want to break some news to everyone today. That never in the Bible does it say when we say yes to Christ, when we become followers of Christ, Never does it say that our lives are going to get easier. It kind of says the opposite, doesn't it? Because in fact, didn't Jesus willingly walk to the cross and die? And if we are followers of Christ, we are following him to death. That's what we signed up for. Let me read you one story. And you may have heard stories like this before. But let's listen up. Lyell and Emil lived and ministered in her home country of Syria in an area which had originally been relatively safe. Early in 2015, they made a trip to Emil's country to visit his family. On the way back, their lives took an unexpectedly dramatic turn when a terrifying event made it clear that the situation in Syria was quickly deteriorating. The couple left the visit with his family well-fed and happy, 
But a few hours into their journey home on a crowded passenger bus, the vehicle was pulled over and boarded by armed men. What everyone assumed was a random military check quickly became evident that it was something more evil. A radical militant group had taken control of the bus and everyone on it was being kidnapped. The driver and passengers were forced to drive for several hours on back roads to a predetermined destination. As they unloaded, the men and women were separated. Emil gave one last word of encouragement to his young wife. Though treated roughly and locked into one small room together, the women were not abused. But throughout the night, they could hear the tortured cries of the men in the next room. The night seemed to have no end. But at some point in the early hours of the morning, their captors succumbed to exhaustion and the beating stopped. Lyle had no idea if Emile was alive or dead. She only knew that for this moment, she was alive and she continued to pray that God would somehow deliver both of them. Soon after the sun rose, the door of the women's room scraped open and her captor called out her name. Would the next moments deliver torture or death? With a shaking hand, she acknowledged her name, silently praying for strength and deliverance. Rough hands dragged her through the door and into the cold morning air where she was thrown at ragged feet. She looked up into the eyes of her husband. Hardly able to register what was happening, Emile grabbed her arm and they began to limp into the landscape towards freedom. Her husband forbade her to look back and pulled her painfully forward. He limped and he was bloody, clearly having been beaten through the long night, but he was alive. Cold, hungry, wounded, they walked for hours without stopping, frightened that at any moment their captors would come for them. As the day wore on and the miles grew, they began to feel a burgeoning sense of safety and finally decided to stop at a village to ask for help. And this is where their journey for freedom started. It was no longer safe for them to go home. The violence was too much. The risks were too great. You see, we've all heard stories like this before, haven't we? On Facebook, on the news, and newspapers. And not just stories about refugees, but so similar stories about the homeless, the hungry, the hurting, the sick, the dying. And we hear these stories but something stops us from engaging. And maybe it's fear of the unknown. Maybe it's where we're afraid, you know, am I going to do the wrong thing? Or I'm not sure what the next step is. Maybe we just want to roll over and go back to sleep. Maybe we're not listening to God's voice. But when we take our fingers out of our ears and we allow ourselves to have sleep ears, and we begin to say yes, and everything changes. Our small little church community of a few families began to change. So now three years after meeting with a couple of friends for church each week, we've just moved into a bigger church space because we don't fit into our old space on Sundays anymore. Each Sunday we have around 60 people from all over the world coming together because of God's love. We have an Arabic-speaking church service. We sing our welcome song in six languages. We have our bulletins translated into eight languages. We have Muslims and Hindus and atheists and all sorts of people coming and hearing the gospel each week. 
A few Sundays ago, we welcomed 13 new members to the Church of the Nazarene. The week before that, we baptized a family of five. And the week before that, we baptized another family of five. We have six new Nazarene licensed ministers. We teach English five days a week, Bible studies in four languages, Croatian language classes two days a week, art night, movie night, prayer night. We have an accredited learning center with ordination classes because so many people feel called to full-time ministry. God is on the move in the world. And do you remember the story I just read about Emil and Leal? Well, Pastor Emil and Pastor Leal lead our Arabic ministries. They reach people where they are in the midst of their pain to share the love of God where it's needed most. This is Pastor Emil and Pastor Leal. And if we would have stayed away because we were afraid or because the news told us that those people want to hurt us, I don't know what will happen. But God said there are people in there that are going to change everything. Oh, and also there's Pastor Donia and Pastor Cheyenne who lead our worship in our church and they lead our Persian-speaking ministries. And they have a similar story of kidnap and escape as Emil and Leal. Do you see what God is doing here? But the Lord said to Ananias in verse 15, Go, for Saul is an instrument whom I have chosen. You see, God was saying, I've got plans that you don't even know about. And there are people out there who are going to change everything. See, this isn't just a story about refugees. You can even see in this picture. It speaks volumes, doesn't it? This is a Muslim woman placing a flower on the cross of Christ on Easter morning. I don't know what God is going to do. But God is on the move doing incredible things. And he uses people like us when we allow our ears to be turned on to him, to his voice, and hearts that are willing to say, Here I am, Lord. Use me. When we start to do that, everything changes. You see, that's the way he set this whole thing up. God designed it for us to work in partnership with him, for us to listen to his voice and to crucify ourselves so that it can be Christ who lives in us and through us and because of that, the world changes. And this isn't just a one-time thing, this is a daily walking to the cross. This is a daily listening to his voice. God, what do you have for me today? How can you use me today? And you remember the little round boy Carter? The questions and the curious mind? Well, I just kind of finished my talk and I had explained that basically missionaries are people who step outside of their 
comfort zone of what's comfortable for them. And they step into the unknown, into something maybe uncomfortable, so they can share the love of Jesus. And I was kind of explaining to him, to all the kids, that's, you will all have that opportunity. We all have that opportunity, but it's very easy for us to sit in a comfortable place and just kind of rest there. But God has something better in mind for you. So after my talk, Carter raised his hand again. I was up most of the time, let's be honest. But I called on him again. I said, yes, Carter. I was expecting some crazy question, of course. And Carter said, well, in my school, me and my best friend, Albert, we like to look for the kid in the lunchroom who sits by himself and then we go and sit with him. Or we like to see the kid on the playground who's alone and we like to be with him. Or we sit in our classroom and we wait for someone's pencil to fall on the floor and we go and pick it up for them. Do you see what's happening there? From the youngest to the oldest, this is the way God changes the world. It's the way he designed it. You see, I want to be more like Carter in my daily walk with Christ. I want to sit with my best friend and just be ready. God, where do you want to use me? Who do you want me to talk to? Where do you want me to go? I'll go. I'll wait in my parents' basement for a year and a half. I'll go to one of the most horrible borders with death and fear and anger and sadness. I don't care where it is. I'll go to the local homeless shelter. I'll go to my cousin's house who I don't like anymore. Where do you want me to go, God? How do you want me to share your love in the world? Because God is doing things that we don't even know about. And there are people out there that are going to change everything. And we just need to listen to God's voice and go. Let's pray together. God, You are at work in ways that we could never dream of. And God, for some reason, you set this whole thing up to use us to share your love in the world, to use us to transform the world. God, we see your glory. We see your love. We see you at work in the world around us. And we are humbled to be part of that. God, we ask for sleep ears today and tomorrow and every day. God, give us ears to hear your voice. Give us eyes to see those around us in a whole new way. And God, give us the courage to step into the unknown because you called us there. Because everything will change. We love you, we praise you, we follow you, we adore you, lead us, guide us, we are here for you, in your son's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful message. Can we say thank you to Dave uh, for coming and sharing what God has done? Thank you.
We have a way to say thank you as well. Uh, we want to give a love offering. Now, our church, we do our part uh, to send uh, what's called a deputation offering uh, to for Dave and Betsy's ministry in particular. This that we want to give now in this offering, this is a love offering. This is something we want to just give to Dave so that they have money to uh, buy McDonald's in the airport for their kids or get toothpaste if they need, whatever they need. This is for their use. We want to say thank you for coming and, and sharing a, with us about what God is doing in Croatia. Uh, and so I'm going to encourage you, go ahead and get ready to give. Get your cash out, your check out, your checkbook, your change, whatever you want to give. We're going to have the ushers come once again and receive uh, this love offering for Dave and JJ and his family. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message that calls us out of fear and into your glorious light, into your work. We're thankful that uh, you gave our brother Dave sleep ears. That he was able to hear your voice and say, here I am, here I am. God, I pray that as we give, we would not just give a little bit of our money, but that as we were giving, we would, we would listen for your voice. And we would say, here I am. Here I am, God. I don't know if you'll send me to Croatia, but here I am. Help us. Change us. And may we give out of the wonder and the goodness that you have given to us. Thank you, God. And we pray and give these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Ushers, would you receive this love offering for Dave? We're going to let Dave and JJ and uh, I think a cousin is here as well. Uh, we're going to let them go out into the foyer. And they'll be standing at one of the standing tables there with some information about Croatia, some cards that you can put on your refrigerator to remember to pray for the Scott family in Croatia. And then there are there's crackers and cheese and some things. So please stick around and talk with our missionary. Um, it's exciting what God is doing through them. So make sure you stick around and you know curb your hunger just a little bit with some snacks. And uh, make sure you talk with Dave. I know he would love to shake your hand and hear from you. I also want to remind you: get your Growlers tickets. This is how we're beginning the funding of our mission trip. I just want you to know, Croatia is one of the places we're praying about. Is that where God wants to send us? So we might go and help Dave and Betsy uh, where they are. And so please be praying. Get your tickets. Support so that we can begin to raise the money to go where God will call us. It's a wonderful time. Would you stand and receive the final blessing? <clears throat> and now, may you be given the gift of sleep ears that Dave talked about. Would you begin to hear that gentle tap of calling you? And I pray that your answer will be, here I am. No matter your age, no matter your occupation, no matter what you think your life is about, I pray that you will say yes to God and see and receive the life that only He can give you. 
I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Go in peace. You are sent out. Have a great, great afternoon.